Hey, uh, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Hillside again. I'm Derwin. Uh, I'm so glad you're here. If you, you haven't felt sufficiently welcomed, we want to do that. Um, for those of you who've been around for a while, you might recognize somebody who's returned. My son, Caleb, has come back from his uh, time in Europe. Welcome back, Caleb. We, uh, first thing we did when he returned was we took him to uh, the uh, hair salon and asked him to get a haircut. Turns out when your parents aren't helicoptering over you, that's one of the things you just let go. And he had like this seriously, actually, John. I'll pay for a haircut for you, man. I mean, if you can't afford it, I mean, like it's 15 bucks down the street. I just, I'll, I'll, I'll cover that for you. Anyone else? You know, that really, you know, you got a family member that really needs it. You're like, Mackie, I'll buy you a razor blade. Share it with you one of mine. Uh, there, oh, oh, see, we, we, can, we, we found the place that does it for 10 bucks. I'm sure you can get it for cheaper, but maybe you won't look that good after. You don't want to chimp out on some things in your life, right? Some things are not a bargain, even though they seem like a bargain. Um, just to uh, get us kind of warmed up this morning, I, I, I love uh, sometimes looking at other church signs. Ours is pretty innocuous, what we have on our front sign generally. Maybe we should learn from some of these that are posted online, but uh, take a look at some of these signs. This first one. Uh, don't let your worries kill you. Let the church help. <laughs> that was a bulletin blooper, I think, from, from a long, long time ago. I like this one. Honk if you love Jesus. Text while driving if you want to meet him. <laughs> Ouch. Like, it's like a, like a social message right in the church sign there, like as in behave, people. Uh, these next couple I, I don't think I like at all. You got this one. Best sausage supper in St. Louis. Come and eat Pastor Thomas Ressler. Now that's good sausage, yeah. Um, I like this next one. Do you know what hell is? Come hear our preacher. <laughs> and then uh, we, I can identify this with, at our church. It, you know, we have two two sides to our sign. It's always a bit of effort to get that sign changed. And so this is a a sign person who I think has has gotten frustrated. They asked me to change the sign, so I did. You gotta you gotta have the tone on that one. And then lastly, knock, knock, who's there? Jesus. Jesus who? Exactly. Jesus who? And uh, that's our question. Uh, as as uh, Lincoln mentioned, we're in our, our new series today. It's called Big Questions. There's lots of big questions. Uh, next week, we're going to be asking the question, what about other religions? Do all religions, are they kind of the same? Do they all lead to God? Just, are, are they kind of just different paths up the same mountain? We'll grapple with that one next Sunday. The Sunday following, we'll be asking the question of, what about evil? What, why is there suffering in the world? If God is a good God, why is there suffering? Why is there evil? So we'll, we'll tackle that. But this morning we're going to tackle what I consider to be the biggest of questions. Just who is Jesus? Let's hear how some people answered that question. Let's take a, a watch of a view, uh, clip from the, the Alpha Course. Watch the scene. arguably the most famous person in history. Over two billion people claim to follow him. That's one third of the world's population. He's represented in art and literature more than any other figure. Time magazine called him the most influential person who has ever lived. But who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? Uh, uh, um, uh, I think uh, 
Uh, I believe he was a person. Um, he's the son of God. I don't believe Jesus ever really existed. The son of God. If I have to answer that question, I would say God. Uh, he plays on the wing for Chelsea. If you read the Bible, I don't think I could believe in all of that. Everything. <laughs> he can be any, but for me, he's everything. Who is Jesus? To be honest with you, I don't know. I'm not super religious or anything, so. I mean, he, I guess it's a savior or something. <laughs> Personally, I think that Jesus was probably a really cool dude who lived a long time ago and gave great advice to people, and it snowballed from there. Good uh, perspective from the street. And as we saw from those interviews, when it comes to asking anyone who is Jesus, it's a tough question to answer. In a sense, uh, Jesus got the ball rolling when he asked his disciples a similar question. In Matthew chapter 16, we find it recorded that the disciples, they're, they're walking in this region called Caesarea, and he asked them, what are people saying about who the Son of Man is? And, and, and they kind of spout off their list of, of who it might be, of who Jesus has been told, uh, said, spoken of. Uh, it could be John the Baptist, Elijah, Jeremiah, all these other kind of Old Testament prophets. And then Jesus makes the question far more personal. He asks them, well, how about you? Who do you say that I am? Peter makes what would become his famous confession in that moment of who he had become convinced that Jesus was, and he says, you are the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Well, whoever we think that Jesus is, what he did and, and what he said have ignited throughout history all kinds of of debate and questioning about his identity. Did he really exist? I mean, was he simply a myth, a legend? I mean, why do we even bother asking this question about a man who lived 2,000 years ago? I mean, <laughs> and we're gonna try and take a stab at that. It's a, a tall order this morning, but we're gonna ask that question. Uh, let me begin by saying that for those of us who believe in Jesus, we do so based on the evidence. Uh, I myself, could not be a, a Christ follower if it was just a leap of faith, if it's just a matter of believing. Uh, I, I believe there's good evidence for the Christian faith, and, and so as we begin this morning, by, we're going to just lay out what we kind of are sure of of Jesus, the facts about Jesus. These are undisputed, kind of the case for, for Christianity. And we'll go on to walk out that there's, there's basically, you can come up with, in, in my sermon title, uh, I just had three, but there's actually probably five options or possibilities of what we can believe about Jesus. Again, why, was this, why would it be important at all for us to look at this? It's because of what Jesus said. The magnitude of his claims, the kind of things he said were, were so extreme that, that we've got to kind of take this character, this historical character seriously. So buckle up, let's, let's go. Uh, first, we're going to Look at the facts, the five facts that we know about Jesus. And you can see these in your notes, so you don't have to kind of scrabble them down, but they're there. First, there was a man named Jesus who lived 2,000 years ago in Palestine who claimed to be God. He claimed to be the Messiah, the, the Son of the living God, come from heaven. Um, by the way, some people ask the question, did Jesus really exist? And, and quite honestly, there's not, among scholars, there's really no debate about this. There's all kinds of evidence. A, A, there's the evidence of just the, the, the birth of the Christian faith. It had to come from somewhere. Uh, secondly, we have the, the biblical records themselves, uh, things, the writings of the New Testament that testify to Jesus' existence. 
And then in the first century, there are records, uh, secular records, historical records. People like Josephus mention Jesus and others uh, mention his existence. So that's, that's uh, fact one, there was a man named Jesus. Second fact, as he went about preaching his message, the people who heard him, they saw him do things that looked to them like miracles. They apparently saw him feed 5,000 people from a few loaves and a, and a, and a couple, couple fish. They saw him walk on, on water. They saw him raise people from the dead, calm a storm. They saw him heal sick people. I mean, hundreds of people saw him do what they saw as miracles. And third, uh, Jesus not only claimed to be God, he convinced those closest to him that he was God. This is something even more significant. Uh, someone came up to me after uh, the first service and said, even his family came to believe in his God. Think about your brothers, your siblings. For them to believe that you are God, that would be something, right? They, they know you inside and out. And for them to believe that you were actually this righteous son of the living God would be significant. But, but think a little bit more broader, the, the, the people around him. Keep in mind that the last people in the world in the first century who would believe that a human being could become God were first century Jews. I mean, there were a lot of, a lot of religions in that day that would have actually found it not that difficult to believe. Take the, the Romans and, and the Greeks, for example. Uh, they, they, uh, their gods would often come down to earth or be, and, and they'd wear disguises and behave like people for a time. So they'd become like human beings. But not the Jews. They, the Jews had this high, high, they had this transcendent view of God, unlike anything else in the world at the time. They saw God as the creator. He, he's above the world. Uh, in fact, he, a, a God who had no beginning. And, and the Jews taught that in the first, uh, they were taught in the first two commandments of the Ten Commandments, never to ever worship anything created. Never worship a calf, never worship uh, the sun or the moon. They held God so, so highly that they didn't even use God's name. They, they, it was too holy for them. The last people who would believe that the Son of God would be a human being were the Jews. And here's a fact. These, these first century people who, who surrounded Jesus came to believe that he was the Son of God. They believed it. Number four, after Jesus died, hundreds of people confessed that they'd seen Jesus alive. We talked a lot about this last Sunday, Easter Sunday, but, but how the Apostle Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians that 500 people saw Jesus risen from the grave at one time. That's fact number four. All kinds of people said, I, I, I've seen him, he's, he's risen. And that leads us directly to, to fact number five. This experience changed these people so much, these men and women, that they went out into the world and they spread the news everywhere they went, often at great cost to themselves. We've talked often and we're, we're supporting and, and involved in the refugee issue of our, our day. Uh, they had a refugee issue in, in, in Jesus' day in the first century as well. Uh, followers of Christ were some of the first refugees in that century, fleeing their homes because of the persecution they experienced because of their belief that they held on to that Jesus was indeed risen from the grave. They were, they were killed for their faith and, and completely transformed, so much so that they died for their faith. So five things, five facts. Let's, let's review them real quick. There was a man who claimed to be God. He apparently did miracles. The people closest to him came to believe he was God. And after he was dead, many people saw him risen. And, and they were so, those people were so transformed at, at meeting the risen Jesus that they spread the word everywhere. So how do you account for the facts? What do we do with that? 
Um, I, I, I want to suggest this morning that we have a reasonable faith, and I want, I want to suggest that, that some of the way of, of dealing with these claims and, and wrestling with this, these facts, there aren't that many options. There really aren't that many possibilities. There's basically five options to answer the question, who is Jesus? First, all kinds of people have proposed that Jesus was a legend, or Jesus was simply a myth, right? We, we, we don't really know anything solid about Jesus. That's a, a very, very common approach to Jesus in our day. Um, there's a mom named Erin Younger. She, she writes about her, her daughter who was growing up, and uh, she says this. She says, when my daughter lost her last baby tooth, I was weary of the tooth fairy and decided that it was time to dispel this, this childhood myth of the tooth fairy. Kelly, I said, you know how the, the Easter bunny is really mommy and, and how Santa is also mommy too? Well, there's one more person who is, who is really me and the, the daughter gets really concerned at this point. And the mother asks, can you guess who it is? And slowly, Kelly's eyes grew as, as big as saucers and, and her mouth dropped open and in a small, awe-filled voice, she says, God? Some of you moms have been, you know, preaching the wrong messages to your children, I think. But uh, it's very common today. Many people view Jesus as a legend or a myth, uh, much like they, maybe some people would view Santa or the Tooth Fairy. They'd say, how do we know that this is really true of Jesus? How do we know who Jesus was? How do we know Jesus was who, how he even claimed to be God? How do we know he did, did miracles? How do we know all these things? Weren't Jesus' followers simply very devoted fans? And so after Jesus died, they began you know, telling stories, and, and maybe they began creating stories about Jesus, and it became like the game of telephone, you know? Like you, you whisper something into somebody's ear, and by the time it goes through the line, at the end, it's something completely different. And so the early church, they began telling stories and maybe even creating stories, putting words into Jesus' mouth to the place where, where, how can we know that it's true? I mean, and of course, they're written so long after that these things got written down eventually, and, and so how do we know these are really real, that these are actually what Jesus did or actually what Jesus said? We don't know which of these things in, are, are, are genuine and, and which of these are accounts. He was a legend. Uh, let me give you three reasons why this can't be. Uh, three reasons. One, the Bible is not written as a legend. It's just not. The Bible is written as history. Uh, a lot of the religions of that day, if you look at the, the sort of the, the religious figures who led those movements, they read, if, if you read the original documents, they do feel like legend. Like, it feels kind of like a myth. But when you look at the New Testament, take, take for example, the Gospel of Luke. In, in the very beginning of Luke, the first four verses, it's, it's incredible how Luke wants you to understand this account that he gives you of Jesus. This is what he says. He says, many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the very first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught." I mean, what is Luke saying? Luke's saying, I wasn't an eyewitness. But he says, I know a lot of the eyewitnesses, and I, I interviewed them. I, I, I became an investigative journalist, and I, I checked 
their interviews. I, I heard their stories, and I compared the various accounts. He says, I, I put them together as an orderly account so you can be certain of these things that happened. Um, another literary critic put it this way. He says, when you read the New Testament, you can see right away that the Gospels are not written as legend. In, in, in one sense, they're, they're really not good enough. And here's what he means. Uh, if they're not history, they have to be a, a type of realistic prose fiction that actually didn't exist until the 18th century. That, that type of, of story writing didn't, actually didn't exist. Let me give you an example. Little episodes like, like John chapter 8 where you have Jesus you know, bending down and, and, and drawing in the dust when they brought that woman who was caught in adultery. I mean, we don't know what he was writing. I mean, it's been good material for preachers. They've loved to, to fill in the blanks there. But we don't know what it says. It doesn't add anything to the story. That's the mark of a true account. That's, that's not a legend. That's something that would be included in a legend. It's the mark of, of history. Um, today we have novels, which is a, a type of fiction. And, and in our novels today, we include a lot of detail. I, uh, well, I was on holidays recently. Uh, I downloaded onto my device The Lord of the Rings, the trilogy. Surprise, surprise. But I hadn't, since the movies came out, like 10 or whenever years ago, I have not read The Lord of the Rings. The movies have become kind of my primary encounter. So it was good to, to start rereading these. And I'm still reading it. I, I, I give a little bit of time every day, and it's just like, it's an unending story. In fact, Tolkien said, my, my, my goal when writing The Lord of the Rings was to write a very long story. Do you know why it's so long? Because he included so many stinking details. I mean, he described everything, every hill and vale. It takes pages to I mean, honestly, guy, just like fast forward that. You know what he really shrinks on? These big massive battles that the, the movies do, these you know, 10, you know, 10, 15, 20 minute battles. Tolkien gives it a comment. They fought here in this field and they were finished. And, and that, that was kind of it. I'm like, you know, from, from a male perspective, I want, you know, give me the details on the battles. I don't need to know what the Dale looked like. But, but that's fiction today. We include lots and lots of detail. We describe things. You, you walk into a room and, you, and you're told what the room looked like and so on. But, but the, New Testament, the New Testament has that kind of detail in it. And, 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 and legends just didn't put those kind of things in. Luke says, this isn't a legend. He didn't write it as a legend. And, and so when you read the New Testament Gospels, you have to think that they were either deliberate hoaxes or lies or their actual historical accounts. There's kind of really no in-between. Second reason it can't be a legend is that if these gospel accounts are lies, you have to take another couple of key factors into account. We, we talked about this last week, but here's what archaeologists and, and authors, uh, pardon me, scholars keep on finding, researchers, is that the, the age of, of the, the, the time lapse between when the gospels were written and, and when they actually happened, when those events happened, when, when Paul's letters were written, and between, between Jesus' life and those writings is, is relatively short, like 20 years uh, for Paul, the letters of Paul, and, and maybe 40 years for the Gospels. They were written very, very soon after, relatively, in terms of historically speaking, soon after Jesus lived. What does that mean? As we talked about last week, if you're going to fabricate something, if you're going to make something up and say this happened here and this is when it happened, the only way you're going to be, be believed is if there's, there's, the eyewitnesses aren't there to contradict you, to tell you you're wrong. Um, Caleb, as I mentioned, just got back from his time uh, in England and Sweden, 
And he was going, one of the cool things was he actually went to the school I went to 30 years ago. Uh, so I, I didn't brainwash him that he had to go to that school, but that's where he decided to go. And uh, a couple weeks, few weeks after he's at that school, he sends me a text, and uh, it had a couple pictures on it. What, what happened was, is, is he was in the library one day to school, and there's a class picture in the library, and, and it's from the class of 1987-88. That's my year. And he looks at it, and he's like, there's my dad. And what made it interesting, because uh, why should that be? They've they got a picture right there. And in and, and, and this picture here, the, the handsome guy in the middle is the guy that's me. That you can see right off the bat, right? The guy who had just loads of hair and a nice mustache, big smile. That's me right there. He sent these from England. But what's kind of funny, there was no other class pictures in the entire school. They only had my class picture. Our year was so awesome. Now, now say inspired by that class picture, my son decides to 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 publish a story about the class of 87 and 88, and he, and he, and he, and he starts telling about the, the riots that happened that year and how a number of students were, the police were called in and students were arrested and carried off, and, and it was a big, big deal. The, the, the fire that happened would burn down the stables, and this would all be made up. Actually, it didn't happen. It, it didn't happen. But say he publishes this and, and, and starts you know, telling the world that th- this happened, it, it, it would never, that story would never get off the ground. Why? There's just too many people around that could discount that story. I mean, one of my professors at the time, 30 years ago, he's now the principal at the school, and, and one of the, the resident dorm leaders was, is, is now the, the school registrar, not to mention the, the, the numbers of students around the world who, who if a story like that got published, they'd, they'd, they'd find out about it and could discount it. If you want to make something up, you've got to wait till all the eyewitnesses are dead or gone, so that there's just no possibility of them contradicting you. So you've got to wait a while yet, son. I'm still around. I plan to contradict you for the rest of your life, the rest of my life, just so you know. But all, the, all the, the New Testament documents that we know were written within the lifetime of the witnesses, the eyewitnesses. How could they all be intentional lies? How could a faith be based on, on these kind of accounts when... All kinds of people that were living could disagree and have said, and said the tomb is not empty. There's a body there. It can't be a legend. It's either a lie or it's a historical document. And it doesn't make sense that it was a lie. It was written too soon after the events took place. Lastly, did, did these people die for a hoax? I mean, think, of the, think of the disciples. Uh, it would have had to have been an incredible conspiracy for them to agree upon their version of the facts, but for them to make up this story of Jesus rising from the grave, uh, and, and, and would they be willing to die for that hoax, this thing that they'd made up? Would you die for the lie, as has been commonly asked? Um, Kenneth Scott Latourette, uh, he was a, a well-known uh, Yale historian. He put it this way, asked this about the Christian, Christian faith. He said, why among all the cults and philosophies Competing in the Greco-Roman world, did Christianity succeed and outstrip all the others? Why did it succeed despite getting more severe opposition than any other? Why did it succeed though it had no influential backers in high places, but consisted mainly of the poor and slaves? How did it succeed so completely that it forced the most powerful state in history, the Romans, to come to terms with it and then outlive the very empire that sought to uproot it? It is clear that at the very beginning of Christianity, there must have occurred 
a vast release of energy, perhaps unequaled in our history. Without it, the future course of the Christian religion is inexplicable. Now, it's, uh, it is possible that these people died for a lie. It's possible, maybe. But put that together with, with the time within it was, when it was written, the Christian faith and the basis of these claims, I, I don't think could have gotten off the ground. They couldn't have said the tomb was empty unless the tomb was empty because of when they were saying it. That the, the people, they couldn't say people saw Jesus raised from the dead because those people were around. They were still there. They, they, could have, they couldn't have talked about the miracles. They couldn't have said that Jesus said he was the Son of God unless he'd claimed to be the Son of God. So based on the evidence, you can't say that Jesus was a myth or a legend. And I just want to make a comment here. This is based on historical evidence. And we have a, a, a reason for holding on to historical evidence. We can, if someone were to say you can't believe in Jesus because of the historical evidence, you'd have to pretty much throw much of what we believe about the past out the window. You'd have to doubt everything. We have far more evidence that Jesus did and, and said the thing, these things than we have for all kinds of historical events. Let me give you one example. Tim Keller uh, shares this. We have far more evidence for Jesus than we have uh, for the fact that, that Caesar invaded Gaul. We only have one account of that, but we have four accounts of Jesus. The only account we have of the Gallic Wars uh, is a manuscript where the earliest copy dated 900 years after the event took place. With, with the Gospels, we have manuscripts that are, that are within a, a much shorter timeline, a few years after they happened. So Jesus is not a legend. If, if he's not a legend, then the second option we have is that he couldn't be a good man. Um, I liked what the woman uh, being interviewed said. She said, uh, you know, I, I think he was a cool dude who gave good advice, and then it just kind of snowballed from there. But it's very common today to hear people say, Jesus was just a good teacher. Gave good advice. He said kind of cool things, right? Um, how can he be a good teacher? You got to actually look at what he said and, and look at the things he taught. Would a good man say some of the things that Jesus did? He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father, no one comes to God, but through me. How could a good man say that? I, I, he says, if you want to follow me, you have to hate your father and mother. He said, anyone who wants to save his life will lose it, but anyone who loses his life for my sake will find it. He said, all power is given unto me. And he says, lo, I am with you always. I'll be with you always, even to the ends of the earth. And what's he saying? He's saying, he's saying I am the way to ultimate reality. In fact, he goes further than that. He says, I am ultimate reality. He, he said just audacious things. He says, if you want to follow me, you've got you to give up everything. Your, your love for me has to be so great that your love for your, your parents or your spouse or your children looks like hate in comparison. He said, if there's anything keeping you from me, if it's a hand, cut it off. If it's an eye, pluck it out. It's not worth losing me. Who said things like that before? And it's not something a, a good person would say. This person's either God or they're a very, very bad man. This person is either God or they're an egomaniacal, you know, immoral man, a liar. Based on what he said, we cannot get away with calling him a good teacher. 
So he's not a legend. He's, he's not a good man. And, and maybe he's a liar. Or, or maybe he's a lunatic. And, and we're going to look at these two just briefly together. Both a liar and, and lunatic or madman option are kind of basically the same. Basically, what you're saying here is that, that he deceived his followers. He fooled his followers. He was either a really bad person who lied, you know, deceived them intentionally, or he unintentionally deceived them. Like he, he actually believed the things he was saying about himself, which would make him a lunatic. Now, this is where we have a bit of a problem. For example, look at, again, at the quality of his teaching. I mean, it's the furthest thing from crazy talk. It actually makes, when you really study it, it makes sense. It's not the ravings of a madman. I mean, G.K. Chesterton put it this way. He says, he says if I found a key on the road and, and discovered, surprisingly, that it fit a particular lock in my house, I would assume most likely that the key was made by the lockmaker. And if I find a set of teachings that, that set out in pre-modern oriental society that has proven itself of such universal validity that it has fascinated and satisfied millions of people in every century, including the mi- best minds in history and the simplest hearts, that it has made itself at home in virtually every culture, inspired masterpieces of, of beauty in every field of art, continues to grow rapidly and spread and assert itself in lands where a century ago the name of Jesus Christ was not even heard. He says, if such, if such teaching so obviously fits the locks of so many human souls in so many times, in so many places, are they likely to be the work of a deceiver or of a fool? In fact, it's more likely that they were designed by the heart maker. And then look at the, the quality of his life. I mean, look at his life. Does, does his life look like the life of a liar or a lunatic? Do you, realize the, do you realize the type of person you'd have to be to actually make up the things Jesus said or the things Jesus did? I, I mean, who's going to make up the fact that he, he's, you know, he meets a blind man and he spits on the ground and puts mud in the guy's, guy's eyes? You know? Like, what, what kind of you know, man makes up the fact that, that this Jesus would would come to a leper who has been shunned his whole life and, uh, and rejected by all of, all of his culture, and Jesus comes up and does the one thing that nobody would do to a leper. Jesus gives the guy a hug <laughs> and touches him, and, and this unclean man who's been rejected is some, you know, not only is healed, but, but is healed of an emotional wound that goes far deeper than her, his outer skin disease. I mean, Jesus... He never falls short. Nothing, you know, honestly, the kind of things he said, if, if it was just made up by somebody, uh, we'd be asking ourselves, who made it up? I want to know that person. It, 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 his, his words just never fall short. He, he always, uh, as someone once said, Jesus had the best lines, right? He always knew the right question to ask someone when, when they came up. He always, he had the right thing to say. And so, so his life, he's, he's always kind of surprising us. He, he, nothing he does ever falls short. He's always kind of taking our breath away. Pastor Tim Keller suggests one of the reasons for this is that Jesus actually combined character virtues together that we had never seen in the world before. Listen to what he says. He says, Jesus was, was tenderness without weakness, strength without harshness, holiness and unbending principles without compromising his approachability, power without insensitivity, passion without prejudice, 
the harshest judgment on the self-satisfied person and the most winsome kindness to the broken and marginalized. Never inconsistent, never a false step. Uh, Peter Forsyth, uh, P.T. Forsyth said this about Jesus. He says, if God is not like Jesus, he is less than the God we crave and less than the world needs. This is the holy love that deserves to be the Almighty. And honestly, when, when we describe Jesus, when, when we uh, even just now read about Jesus, can't you just get a sense of what his first followers said, saw in him? I mean, they bowed down and worshiped him. You can see it when you, when you read the Gospels. You can see it in his char- characters. Those first followers believed that Jesus was no ordinary man, and they somehow believed they were seeing in Jesus God in human flesh. The last people to believe this would, would have been first century Jews. What power could have gotten them to believe it? And what's the alternative? Um, St. Thomas Aquinas, uh, he argued that really the only alternative is to actually believe in an even greater miracle. You know, if Jesus didn't happen, then something, you know, even more incredible must have happened because the, there was the conversion of one half of the Roman world to Christ, their, their moral transformation into unselfishness and new heights of compassion and holiness, all by the biggest lie in history. What's the inescapable option? Uh, he, he's not a legend. He can't be a good man. It does not make sense that he was a liar or a lunatic. Where does that bring us? It brings us to this place. It, um, it, it is hard to believe Jesus was who he said he was. Uh, it, it, I believe it's harder not to. It, it's difficult to believe he is who he said he is, but the kind of Jesus, the kind of facts that you have to hold on to, the ideas you have to hold on to, if you're going to take the facts of Jesus seriously, are even more difficult to believe. That leads us to the question, or conclusion, I should say. He must be who he said he was. He must be. And, and if that's true, it, it means that you haven't really met the real Jesus unless your response to him has been extreme. Uh, unless it's been extreme. As C.S. Lewis argues that, that Christianity, if false, it's of no importance. And if true, it's of infinite importance. And he goes on to say the only thing it cannot be is moderately important. What Jesus is saying, what Lewis, I should say, is saying in light of the claims that Jesus makes on every human life, uh, on light of the things he said that is relevant to every person that walks this planet, is there are really only two options. It's hate Jesus or, or love Jesus. Those are the only rational responses. Hate him and run from him or, or love him and, and bow down to him. But if you kind of just feel indifferent about Jesus, then maybe you've never actually seen Jesus. You've never really seen him. Um, let me conclude with this thought. If uh, Jesus was who he said it, says he was, that's great news. Now, why is it such good news? Because he says that living the right life and, and being good, being a good person is not the way. Not the way to God, not the way to fulfillment in life. Uh, this is the kind of thing I hear all the time. A friend of mine said it to me a couple weeks ago. They said, you know, if it, uh, my goal, if, if, if I just want to live a good life. If I live a, live a good knife, life, that'll be enough. You've probably heard that. Maybe some of you have said that before. If I just live a good life. Now, a few weeks ago, I, I shared um, about actor uh, Andrew Garfield. Andrew Garfield, uh, well-known for Spider-Man back in the day, but he's been in other movies since. 
And uh, one of the films he prepared for just recently, it was out in theaters in January, was called Silence, about uh, missionary efforts in the 18th, 19th century to Japan. And as part of, uh, Andrew Garfield's not a Christian, uh, grew up in a non-religious home, really, from what I understand, but for this role, he actually studied Jesus' life because he's going to be playing a missionary, and so he thought it was important to do, so he's reading the Gospels, and he was never more surprised than, than what he found as he read these Gospels. Let me, let me quote what he said. He said, what was really easy was falling in love with this person, was falling in love with Jesus Christ. That was the most surprising thing. I felt so bad for Jesus and angry on his behalf when I finally did meet him because everyone has given him such a bad name. So many people have given him such a horrible name, and he's been used for so many dark things. Kind of impressive thing, just from reading the Gospels. Garfield went on to make this, this super honest confession, something that he wanted in light of kind of his encounter with Jesus through those, those primary sources. He, uh, he wanted to bring something to Jesus, and that's what he says. He says, the main thing that I wanted to heal, that I brought to Jesus, was this feeling of not enoughness, that wound of feeling like what I have is, is never enough. Um, I, I don't know what kind of household you grew up in. Uh, maybe uh, your parents were awesome, and they in, imbued in you the, most, the, the highest levels of self-esteem, and you feel just wonderful about yourself most of the time. But I'd say every, every person I've ever met have this nagging sense of not enoughness. <laughs> that somehow, somehow out in the universe somewhere, I don't measure up to somewhere, someone, I, I don't measure up. And, and Jesus would say that that's, that's true. You don't, no one ever measures up to, to the standard. In fact, the sta- he went on to say the standard is me. I, I, I'm, I'm the only one who didn't sin. I'm the only one who, who kind of was enough. And Jesus actually says, you will never be enough. And so Jesus says, don't just look to my teaching. He says something even more radical than that. He says, look to me. He says, I'm not just the way to God. He says, I'm God, come to you. You'll you'll never be good enough. You'll never be moral enough to, to, to reach God. Jesus says, I've come to live the life you should have lived. And I've come to die the death you should have died. He says, I've come to pay for your not enoughness. He says, I've come all this way. Believe in me. You see, religion says this is the way to God. And Jesus says, I am the way to God. I am the way. You'll, you'll never be good enough, Jesus says. I've come, I'm God, come to you. This is, this is good news. And, and I, I want to just say this morning, if you're not a Christian and, and you're here this morning, and I, I, I'd kind of challenge you to, to go and, and explore the Christian faith. I, if you haven't read the Gospels, these these manuscripts that we have of Jesus' life. We have the New Testament. You can actually read firsthand what the Bible says about Jesus. That might be a start for some people here this morning. Examine the evidence. Um, I sense that there's some of you where Jesus is asking the question that he asked of his disciples. How about you? Who do you say that I am? Who is Jesus to you? What is he he to you? I mean, is is he someone that you love and adore? Or, or maybe for you, for you, you're kind of, if you're honest, I'm just a little bit indifferent about Jesus. I, I'd say press in and ask that question. Who is Jesus to me? Is it, does it line up with what he, Jesus said about himself? Or is it kind of a Jesus of my own making or creation? 
I'd say there's probably some here this morning who thoroughly disagree with what I said this morning, and, and, and that's okay. Come back next week, okay? Come back again. You know, we, we, welcome arms. Well, let's, let's, for the time being, agree to disagree, can we? And, and I'd encourage you, we'd love to let, continue on the conversation. Some of you, maybe you're surprised. Uh, maybe some of your stereotypes of Jesus, you know, have been challenged this morning. Again, I, I, I'd love to talk to you about that and, and love to dialogue with you and how you can make a start in sort of exploring the Christian faith more seriously. Let's, let's do that. Um, I know that there's a, this is Sunday morning. This is not a university campus where we've kind of invited the, the neighborhood out. But, um, and so there are many of you that already believe and have believed for some time. And uh, maybe for you, it, it's equipped. This morning has been about kind of, again, reminding you, yes, you have a reasonable faith, and, and, and reminding you that when you get into conversations with your friends and, and they say the, the Christian faith is absolutely not credible, you can say, well, there are good reasons for, for my faith, actually. There, there's historical evidence. There's all those kind of things. I want to equip you with that kind of, kind of background that you can know that this is a reasonable faith. Um, but I, I want to say, too, for those of you who already believe that Jesus offers a special blessing just for you, said in, uh, in the upper room when Thomas came, Thomas who had doubted Jesus and would, would doubt until he saw Jesus face to face, the risen Jesus. He, he meets Jesus and, and Jesus, he's, he says, Jesus, I believe. I believe. And Jesus says this. He says, because you have seen me, you have believed. And this is your blessing. He says, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. We're going to sing in a minute. Let's just uh, let's bow our heads. Would you do that with me? Let's just briefly pray. Father God, I, I, I pray that by your spirit, you would help us to come to understand simply who the real Jesus is. Help us to, to lay down our prejudices, maybe our fears. Help us to simply not ignore the evidence uh, or, or the claims of Jesus or to be indifferent about Jesus. The facts just don't allow that. But we ask you that you would open up to us this, this good news that Jesus offers. We pray this in your name. Amen.